Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh and welcome to the Vet Med Mind. What is the Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners, celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Tashberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current, past, and maybe even future uh, success stories. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel Tageberg, and thank you so much for listening in for today's episode of the Vet Med Mind. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Jill Fournier, who is the owner of Sunrise Veterinary Services. And now she is a small animal vet up in rural northern Michigan who owns this clinic along with three other associates. She tells a beautiful story about her life and how she ended up in vet med and what it's been like as a veterinarian and owner as her practice has evolved over time. So we talk a lot about just clinic culture, mental health, boundaries, communication between staff and management, and lots of other fun stuff at the end. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be joined here today by Dr. Jill. She is the owner of Sunrise Veterinary Services, and I cannot wait to chat with you because I've heard so much about you over the years from my coworker, Jessica Strohecker, who you've been working with for a long time. So welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you because the whole point of this podcast really is to meet with doctors, meet with technicians, just people in the industry who, you know, have seen some success and whatever that looks like, everyone defines it differently. Um, and we really just want to share these positive stories and inspire and motivate people. And I just, I love your story. So I'm excited for you to share it with everybody. So I want to just dive in from the beginning. First and foremost, I always like ever asking everyone your origin story. So tell me a little bit about sort of young Dr. Jill. Did you always want to be a vet? How did you, how did you kind of get started in this career? Yeah. So I grew up, um, I'm from outside of Detroit and suburbs of Detroit. And so I'm a city girl and I grew up always wanting to be a vet. I always wanted to save animals. was always bringing animals home, always wanting to buy rabbits from tractor supply, wanting to buy chickens, would pester my parents about getting more animals. We always had a dog. We eventually got a cat, but um, I always wanted to be a vet. I actually didn't start working in the vet field until I was a sophomore in college uh, because during high school, I played sports and did things to make money. I volunteered a little bit at the end of high school, but I really didn't start in the career until I was in college when I actually started working at a local little clinic, just a little side job here and there. That's so interesting to me. So you started a, a little, you always knew you want to be a vet, but you started actually working in the industry later. Was your yeah. entrepreneurial spirit, you said that you were kind of focused on sports and making money. Was that yeah. entrepreneurial spirit kind of very like deeply ingrained? Was that a part of that when you were young? Yeah. So my parents have always tried to teach us to be good with money, to be responsible, things like that. So, you know, in order for us to do things, we had to have money. And so I started babysitting the kids down the road when I was in sixth grade. I babysat middle elementary school kids after school. You know, I made $2 an hour for three hours every day. And then like when I got into high school, I worked for the school district administration building. So I learned a lot of office kind of stuff there. And both, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom and my dad uh, was a designer for GM. You know, I was around them a lot. We are a very tight family. I have two brothers. And so we just actually, all of us are very successful business people now. Yeah. I think it just started at a young age and I knew I wanted to be a vet and I knew I had to get experience, but that wasn't until, you know, undergrad 
when you had to have the hours to get into vet school. And so I knew I had to focus on my grades to get good grades in high school. And I love playing sports and love being part of a team. So that's kind of what I did through, through high school. I love that. You know, it's funny when you're young and you do all these little odd jobs, you don't really think about how they'll play in later on in life. But like you said, I'm sure you learned a ton working in an office and I'm sure you learned a ton from working with kids. <laughs> they, you know, testing your patients and becoming a leader. Right. <laughs> Real paying job when I was 16 was a daycare center. So I worked oh, at a wow. daycare for, for a year with kids. Kind of had that like nurturing, I want to take care yeah. of you kind of personality. Oh, I love that. And you still chose animals, but it, it proves too yeah. sort of that theory, right? Like people person, like you have that nurturing spirit. You love people. I yes. um, wanted to bring that to animals. I love it. And so you went to MSU and was sports a big part of that decision as well, right? MSU? No, no. Uh, I went to MSU because I knew that was where you had to go. It's the only college in Michigan that is a vet school. And so I went there. I actually have a high school classmate who also went to vet school with me, which is ironic. She's also a vet. We graduated the same year. Um, but I, I knew I had to go to Michigan State um, and I was one of those students. So my first year in undergrad, I worked at a local vet clinic, you know, Saturdays and in the evenings just for a couple hours. And then my sophomore year in undergrad, I got a job with the Michigan State Vivarium, which at the time was a research toward for research animals, for surgeries and things like that. And so I would clean animals and clean cages and clean stalls and do that. And that was a Saturday morning job. And that was a, you know, afternoon job. So I had two jobs on top of going to school full-time during undergrad. And that kind of caught up with me a little bit. My sophomore year, I had some high blood pressure issues and my doctor was like, what are you doing? You know, I was an RA in the dorms and I, I mean, it was just too much on my plate. So I had to cut back a little bit, but I've always been, um, that's when I really started pushing towards getting the exposure and getting the, you know, the experience with animals was more an undergrad than, than anything else. Wow. Yeah. So you were really kind of like, just really diving into the deep end of the person that would go to the parties on a Friday night and leave at midnight because I had to go home and get some sleep. So I could get up in the morning to go to my job or I would come study. I'd be in the study hall late at night and all my friends would be like, you're leaving the party. I'm like, yes, I want to get into vet school. You know, like everything was like, get into vet school, get into vet school, get into vet school. Um, so I did as much as I could to push me in that direction. I was a very, I am a very social person. And so that part was kind of hard in vet school, but, uh, I like to be involved and, and going, I'm always going a million miles in every yeah. direction. Yeah. And it sounds like you learned pretty early on, you know, in, in undergrad, what boundaries and balance really means and its importance overall. And obviously vet med is not necessarily known for yeah. our balance and boundaries. So yeah. talk to me, like, especially now, even just vet school before you even became a vet and then moved into the difficult nature of a business owner on top of all of that. Do you feel like the lesson that you learned in undergrad has played into your life since then, as far as making sure there's balance there? Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely has played a role. Um, I, I will say, I mean, now that I'm in a position where my clinic has grown so much and I'm able to physically cut back, it's been so much better. Part of it is personality. I think so many vets that go to school, we're type A, we're driven. A lot of vets um, are introverts. Uh, I am definitely not. And actually my advisor in undergrad told me he, he actually, my junior year tried like talking me out of going to vet school only because he said, Jill, you will be an excellent vet because you have excellent people skills, but you're going to struggle academically in the beginning part of school because I was a person that had good grades, but I had to study hard to get those good grades. It didn't come naturally to me. And so I think for me, I think 
the biggest thing that I see, like with a lot of the newer grads, um, and even some of the girls that I know now is everybody feels they have to be perfect. You have to get that a, you have to have to have to. And if you don't, the world's crashing. Right. And I think that's the part of this career that's so hard. And I think we learn as we go to kind of maybe let that go, but mental health wise, like just because something goes wrong, doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Right. Um, and I will always tell like my newer guys, I tell people the story all the time and they, they, my staff gets annoyed with me. They're like, why do you tell that story? Like, just let it go. I always tell the story of me making big mistakes. I made a huge mistake as a vet. I had been out for almost 10 years and I didn't neuter a dog. Right. And I left a testicle in. And, you know, I don't tell people that because I'm, you know, proud of that by any sense of the word, you know, of course, the first thing that goes through my mind is, are you going to get sued? Is this like lawsuit? I totally, you know, messed up, you know, and the world's crashing and I can't sleep. But I tell people that story because I'm a vet. I've been doing this for 10 years and I am now it's 15 years, but I messed up everyone messes up. Right. So we all fall down. How do, how do you get back up and keep going? Like, how do you, how do you mentally let that go? And I think so much of it's just being honest, just being a normal person and telling these owners, Hey, you know what? I really messed up and I messed up, but I'm going to fix it. And it's not going to cost you, you know, I mean, that's just how I am. And that's how I am with all the staff. Like if you mess up, just own up to it. And obviously we, we hopefully don't make the mistake again, but I think with a lot of these new grads coming out, or the profession in general is they're so driven to being 4.0, 4.0, perfect, 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 perfect. And then you get into the real world and things aren't perfect, you know, and you're not practicing under tight gold standards and you're in smaller areas, you're in different clinics that don't do things or you don't have the medication. And so I think it, it becomes, if you're not mentally equipped at that point, it becomes very challenging for those vets to like mentally handle that, I don't want to say failure, but that change in what they're used to, you know, and it becomes really, and I think a lot of it's, I mean, I know Sean's talked about this before when we were at the conference and I'm a huge believer in this, like your upbringing, I mean, how you're raised and how you're, how the things that you have experienced in your life and the, the way you interpret things. Like I hear Sean in the back of my mind so often, like even with like my kids, my kids are nine and 10 and they'll be talking or arguing about something. And it'll be a lack of communication. You know, my daughter's like, well, you know what I'm saying. And I'm like, listen, if your brother's asking you and I'm asking you, then obviously two of us are not getting what you're talking about. So you need to explain it in a different way. So we understand because we're not, you know? And so I think that's a huge part in just this profession in general is so many people just the, the communication breakdown or the interpretation of communication, you know? Absolutely. And to me, it sounds like, you know, you've I love that you tell that story and that you make it real for people. Cause it's so easy for owners and mentors to be like, yeah, people mess up. It's cool. Yeah. But for you to be like, look, this was, this wasn't an easy thing for me to go through. And I'm telling you this because this can make you a better doctor and a more vulnerable and honest human being that's relatable. And yeah, these things happen. And you're absolutely right. You know, we're conditioned through school and especially in an academic, an academically driven schooling like vet school, where you have to get A's. Learning to mess up is a really hard task. And so how does that translate for you in practice now? I mean, I know you said that you talked to your team about owning up to your mistakes, but Talk to me about the overall culture of your practice. How does sort of what you've learned over time about just being your real authentic self, um, talking about communication, emotional intelligence, you've obviously tapped into too. So yeah. how has that, how has that, 
become a driving force in the practice? And, and has it always been there? Or has it evolved over time? No, it's definitely evolved over time. So I working in, you know, when I came to this job here as an associate, um, it was my third job out of school and I had been at other clinics, two other clinics prior to, and I always have, I think maybe because my dad was an engineer and had this like mindset of like, there's a problem, let's fix it. I would see things at other clinics that I was like, oh my gosh, if they did this different or this different, it'd be more efficient, more this, more that. And so when I got my own clinic and I inherited this clinic, essentially as a way of thinking about that, my prior boss had treated me so well compared to the previous two bosses that I had that I was like, wow, this is cool. You know, the clinic I worked at right, uh, right out of school, you know, the second clinic I worked at, they wouldn't let us have Clavamox, uh, because it was too expensive of a drug to have on stock. And that was like my go-to drug. And so when I came here to this clinic, this clinic, I'm in Northern rural Michigan. He was so ecstatic to have a small animal vet wanting to work for him that he would have given me the world. And he's like, Oh, you want this? You want that? perfect. Go. You want this equipment? I mean, it was almost like Christmas every day. And I hadn't been in a clinic that was like that before. And I got a company car after two years because he had a company car. And I got to go on a a CE conference uh, every year, a national conference completely paid for airfare, hotel, food, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. And every clinic I went to before had a budget. And so it was just like, wow, this is amazing. Like this is how it should be, you know? And so I think a lot of it comes down to how I was raised raised, how you should just be kind to people and treat them the way you want to be treated. And then being exposed to a vet clinic that kind of did it differently than the previous clinics I worked at. I've just kind of taken that and just amplified that even more of how would I feel if I was in these shoes, you know, and I want my staff to be this way. And I'm really open with them. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. They're controlled, but they're on my sleeve, you know? And so I'm, I'm open, like, Hey, if we're having issues, let's talk about this. I try really hard to make my team feel empowered. And I try really hard. Like sometimes they get a little carried away and they think, you know, that this is, you know, they get to decide these things, but I'm all for having input. For example, we just interviewed another vet and I'm like, Hey, just so you guys know, this is not, this is not about, could we have another vet? Sure we could, but this is about everybody. I want everybody's input because you all work with them. And and that's what my previous mentor had told me. He said, we are a team and we need to get along as a team. So if my team doesn't get along, then we have a problem. Right. And so I've kind of taken that when it comes to hiring people, which may not be the best way. But if I can have a conversation and get along with someone and understand them and know how they do and know that they have a good work ethic, I can teach them anything. I can teach you how to put catheters and I can teach you how to do this and do that, but I can't teach you to be a nice person. I can't teach you to have empathy and I do to have good work ethic. So, um, I don't care. I mean, I've turned down technicians and been desperate for having a technician before I had techs because I could tell right off the bat, the personality was not going to work. Like, and I don't want to stir the pot. You know, we, we all get along really well. We work well as a smooth team, you know? And so again, I try to go above and beyond and, and think of ways that I can not reward my staff, but feel like they're part of the team and giving them tasks and things to do that they can run with, you know, to make them feel like, Hey, every staff meeting, if we have an issue and they're like, well, this isn't working this way. Okay. Well, what are some ideas? Let's bounce it off and we'll try something and it might break and it might not work. And then we're like going back, you know, and then we try something different. And sometimes we're changing maybe a little too much, but I'm always open to being better. 
I want them to be better. And I think what I've learned is if I treat them well and I have a really good work environment, I feel like they're becoming better people on the outside of the work environment. You know, they're feeling empowered. And as Sean talks about, a lot of people in this profession are, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally abused as children. And so they have a lot of baggage. I think when they start working, we have one man here, male here, but when they start working with other empowered females, it really starts building them up, you know, and seeing that they can do better and be better. And it doesn't have to be this way. I've just tried to, again, just taking my previous mentors plan and amplifying that. I think that's incredible. And, you know, we talk so much about core values and culture at VGP, and it's so beautiful to hear you talking about that and saying, it kind of sounds like you've, you took your past, you ended up in a practice that happened to really align with who you are and who you wanted to be. And, and I sort of experienced something similar where I hadn't necessarily been seeking out an employer that had certain things, but I ended up here and I was like, oh yeah, like this is good. This feels good. I like working here. And it helps then identify what those values truly are. And I think it's wonderful to hear that you've made some hard decisions about hiring because of those values. And especially in a time like now where there's such incredible staff shortages everywhere, it seems so easy to just hire that human being that's breathing and say, great, you get to work here now and and we'll figure it out. And I, I know that sometimes it seems like the easiest solution and the thing that we really need most. And I'm sure you can attest this and and let me know, but when we choose no, and we choose the path that 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 keeps our values secure and safe and keeps us who we are, even though that might mean a little bit more kind of pain and suffering in the short term of we all have to work a little bit harder, maybe our shifts are a little bit longer, the days feel a little bit longer, everything sort of compounds. We all as a team understand the importance of this because we've maybe experienced some people that weren't the right fit and know how detrimental that can be. So do you feel like your team... When you made that call, like, listen, like, I want to hire this person so badly for you guys, but I just can't. Were they like, we get it. Yeah, they actually had relief. So like with the technician that we didn't hire, they were like relieved. They were like, please don't hire her. She's telling us what to do during her interview, you know, and I I definitely with that one and with the vet, uh, you know, it wasn't so much about a personality conflict as much as it was. She was available. She had a job. She needed a job. And we were like, hey, you're in small town. Maybe we can hire her. And it just kind of turned into a bigger thought of adding a fourth associate, I should say a fifth veterinarian to the clinic and having to change the way we flow and the way we do exams. And are we going to extend hours and how are we going to work the staffing schedule. Like that was a lot of stress and drama that I wasn't sure I wanted to do yet. And then when I told my staff after we interviewed her and stuff and she, she was nice and everything was fine, but I was like, you know what? I'm, my gut is telling me that I should be super excited about having a vet walk in my door and want to work for me, given the current status of the veterinary profession. And the fact that I'm not excited tells me something it's, it's telling me. And I had to keep going back to that. Your gut is not excited. Your gut is not excited over this, you know? Um, and everyone's listening to that because that gut instinct, it's so easy sometimes to be like, Oh, stop it. It'll be fine. This is what's best. Like talk yourself out of it. And I love that you, you really pause. I mean, I kept thinking and thinking like, oh, but we could do this and we could do that. And, you know, da, 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 da. and I was like, you know, my, like 
why am I not excited? I should be floored, floored over this, you know? And so, uh, when I finally came and I, and I wrote a big you know note to all my staff and said, I've decided not to hire her just because I don't, you know, we're all getting along. I don't want the stress. I'm not mentally ready for the stress of having another doctor and mentoring. Another, she's not right out of school, but a newer grad, you know, and they were all like, thank you, Jill. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Like obviously they were feeling stressed too. So, um, and again, we're all, they want, you know, they want us to be better. We, they want us to have more vets. They just know that they know how I work and they know that, you know, I jump in and sometimes I jump in, I always jump in head first, but then sometimes I'm like trying to swim out, you know, and, and then I'm jumping in head first again. And so I think they were relieved because they know that once I start going towards something, it's coming, you know, it's going to yeah. be here. Do you feel like this particular moment in time was just like a huge growth moment for you? Like maybe five years ago, you wouldn't have been able to have that moment of awareness? For sure. Um, I don't think I would. I, I mean, I'm a pretty confident person in myself in general. Um, you know, where I sometimes in my younger years lacked is I wouldn't trust my gut. You know, my previous mentor that I'm talking about, he would always say to me, Jill, why, why do you have to call your friends? Why do you have to call your specialist friends and ask them about this case? You know what you're doing. Like you have to believe it. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just verifying, you know, like, and so now I'm at a point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going with my gut. My gut's telling me this, this, or this. And a lot of that comes with experience, right? I mean, I know your new grads, they're not going to have that. Their gut is going to be, I'm going to get sued. Oh my gosh. Like I'm going to get sued. And so, um, I think, that will come with time and that comes with maturity. Again, it comes with your previous experiences in your life and, and your upbringing, you know, and all that to how you interpret those situations. So, and also it was worship. Yeah. To have you as an example. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I love about that too, is because I know that you guys also have a vet that had, that was a vet from another country, right? She was from Brazil. So tell yep. me a little bit about that. Cause that's a huge part of this sort of mentor side of you as well. Yeah. So I have two vets that I've mentored that are both still here, but Larissa, um, Dr. Larissa is from Brazil. Um, and she had been in research in Brazil for a year out of school. Um, and she had, when she was in undergrad or she studied abroad and went to Michigan state, studied abroad and met her now husband. Um, and her husband is from my, is from this hometown that we're in Alpina. And so I actually met, uh, had a mutual friend at the gym and who said, Hey, Jill, I have this, um, girl I met and, uh, her husband, I know her husband and, and she wants to come, you know, job shadow you or whatever. And she's from Brazil. And he made it sound like she was a, like a, wanted to be a vet. And I was like, sure, have her come job shadow me, you know, set up a meeting. We always set up meetings to just meet and greet before we have a job shadow come on to make sure they're mentally sane, you know, before we put them in, in areas. Um, and so she walked in and showed up in a business suit. And I was like, job shadow and a business suit. Like I've never had that before, you know, and she busts out her resume and on her resume, it said that she was a vet in Brazil, like doctor of veterinary medicine. And I was like, literally, I literally said like, wait, what you're a vet. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my Lord, thank you. You know? And so <laughs> she hadn't had her green card yet. And so she ended up staying here for uh, I want to say it was close to a year, eight months that she volunteered, literally sat in our lab and helped us studied, read books five, six hours a day, I mean, five days a week. 
she was here all the time and we got to know her and we loved her and, and she's very smart. And so she did that for a year and then her husband got a temporary job down in Florida at Nassau. So they went down to Florida while she was again, where it was all during kind of COVID and getting the green card, everything was taking forever. And so she couldn't live, she couldn't work. And so she was able to finally get her green card. She worked as a technician down there in Florida. And then she came back and she was studying for all her, all those, you know, those big exams that you have to take that are all super expensive. And so I was able to like mentor her while she was here. I would let her scrub in with surgeries with me, you know, as a assistant and I would watch her so she could get comfortable because for that test, she had to do dog space. She had to do things, you know? Um, and so basically for about a, a total of almost two years, she was here either as a hired technician or as a, you know, unpaid assistant watching. And then she finally took her exam, her last exam last August or July. She started on in August of last year. So she's just been on here one full year as an associate. Um, and she's amazing. I mean, she's doing amazing. She's very mature. I mean, she, again, it's, it's, it's so weird for me because she got, went to vet school right out of, you know, they go to vet school right out of high school, which is different than us. And so, um, in the beginning, you know, she might've struggled a little bit with just veterinary terminology of, you know, changing from our words to their, her words, but we have a ton of clients that love her. She loves it. And I'm always telling her, do you have any more friends from Brazil? Do you have anybody else that needs to come? <laughs> you know, we need more vets and I like teaching people. So come on down, you know? So she's been amazing. It's been amazing. Um, she's actually just getting back from Brazil now. She's been there for the last two weeks on vacation. What a beautiful uh, story. I love that. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, yes, there, there are so many people there that are trying to come here to work. And the fact that we are having this big veterinary shortage and that we need more support, this could be a huge opportunity for yeah. U.S. and other countries, you know, to to become more open and and make accessibility to the testing and, and education and finding people that want to be mentors like yourself could change the industry if we create yeah. these paths for people to get here and to support us and our clients and our patients. Yeah, I love seeing her grow and get excited and, you know, from her doing her first neuter and being, you know, super nervous. And now she does see, we do a lot of breeding C-sections, uh, Frenchies and English bulldogs. And, um, so now she's done a million C-sections, she's done foreign body surgeries, you know, and she's only been out of school for, I want to say out of school for a year, but she's been working for a year. And she's done a lot of big surgeries. And so, I mean, that's the advantage, I think, of living in rural, rural area is not everything is going to go to a specialty hospital when the closest one's four hours away. So we have the advantage of getting to do a lot of hands-on. And so she, it's been great. And it's, and it's kind of cool for us because she has a whole different, you know, different side of thinking of veterinary medicine. She's phenomenal with cytologies and histology. And so I, it's like amazing. We have, you know, we're looking at a mass underneath the microscope. We're like, Larissa, what is this? And she's like a pathologist somehow. She can tell you what it is. We don't even need to send it out, you know? So it's been amazing. It's been a really, really good partnership, you know? And I, 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 and I've talked to Jessica about it before. I'm like, I wish that more vets could do that because there are a lot of people like her, you know, that are dying to get in and need help. But I mean, the expectation of transferring that test over is crazy. Like she had to study all the large animals. She went, did a two week rotation, you know, down in North Carolina, just on her own will to learn large animal palpation and stuff just for the exam. Yeah. So there's that you have to do financially, you know, and um, it's a big, a big ordeal for sure. Yeah. But having somebody like you in their corner, who's yes, an employer, but also a friend and a mentor and supporting on this path is huge, you know? And, and I think having that support system 
from her side of things made that feel so doable. And I, and on top of getting a green card and probably all the other stuff that had to happen with all that. So I just love hearing, you know, people, people raising each other up and stories like that make me just, it gives me all the warm and fuzzies. Now you also have another person in staff, right? Who started off really young with you guys and then came back after med school. So let's talk about that. I love that story. Dr. Stone is, uh, originally from Alpena. Um, and she grew up here and started off as a job shadow with us in high school, maybe early first year out of, out of high school, she job shadowed for us and she would come like four, three, four days a week for like five hours and just like follow us around the rooms. And, you know, we could tell she would, she would be a vet. She was very intuitive and always asking questions and always wanting to, you know, be involved. And so, you know, unfortunately her parents got first right around that time. And there were some home life issues and things like that. And so she ended up, we have an apartment upstairs, a two bedroom apartment upstairs. So she moved up there one summer and started working for us in the summers. And and she eventually went to Michigan state for undergrad and she'd come home in the summers and live upstairs. And then my husband was diagnosed with cancer, my second, well, my second year of owning. And so she had come home and she was on the summers helping me with my kids because my kids were two and three at the time. And so she moved in with us. We kind of moved her into the basement of our house and eventually finished a room in the basement. And so basically she lived on and off with us through undergrad and through vet school. And I'm a huge believer. And, you know, I would always tell her like, go away. Like when you get out of vet school, I don't want you coming home. Like go, go experience the life, go experience the world, do your thing. And then if you want to come back, come back, you know, and, and that's kind of what she was never going to come back to Alpina. And she left vet school and went to a referral clinic, a big ER clinic in Pennsylvania. And she got burnt out like majorly burnout, you know, it was supposed to be working three 12 hour days and it turned into like three or four 17, 20 hour days. She had no vacation her first year. She was on call on all night by herself in a huge referral hospital with ventilators. And I mean, just the expectation was just unreal for a new grad coming out of that school. She got so mentally burnt out, mentally exhausted that it was, it was scary, you know? And I, I finally said to her, listen, just come home, like come home, work where you fell in love with veterinary medicine again, come for a year, get your life together, get your HUD figured out, you know? And if you want to go back into school and do cardiology or you want to go do it, then go, then go, but come back before you, I mean, you've spent your whole life doing this and one year is going to blow it for you, you know? So she did, she came home. She moved back in with us for like four months until she found her own house. And now she's back to being super happy and she's got a boyfriend in town. And again, it's, it's been a rough road because she had a, you know, kind of rocky upbringing for a while there. And so it's been challenging for her, you know, and so here at least she's working 34 hours a week and no weekends. And so, um, her life schedule is completely different in Kush than before. And, and she'll always say, Oh, Jill, you're the best boss. I'm never leaving. And I, I hope she doesn't. Uh, I think because she's experienced some really bad experiences out there that she's realized that there are good places, you know, maybe at home that are here. Well, and kind of like back to your personal experience too, where you, you didn't necessarily go through what she went through from a working environment, but you worked in places that just didn't align. It wasn't the right fit. And add on to the fact that she was a new vet, like you said, all without perfectionism, just don't let anything die mentality working by herself. You know, these, these are difficult environments to be in period. And then adding on those sort of unrealistic expectations just makes it so hard. And it, and that's why people start 
leaving the industry. But I do want to circle back to something that you said that I just very just interesting and serious part of your story, which was that as a new business owner, your husband was diagnosed with cancer and you had two young kids. And so talk me through that. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Weird. So how I acquired this clinic actually was my uh, mentor who was Dr. Boyd. He was 38 when I started working here. I've been here for a year. I was, I was associate for four years here before I bought. And so after my first year here, he was 39 and diagnosed with grade stage four glioblastoma of the brain, brain cancer. Um, and so for the next three years, he battled brain cancer in which he still practiced a lot of that. Um, and that was a very hard, again, it was one of those experiences that kind of made me who I am because, um, there were a lot of clients that were noticing, you know, he had paralysis in his right side and it was getting worse, obviously as the tumor got worse. Um, it, it was really a big struggle for the staff because we all loved him loved him as a person and he wasn't quite the same person anymore, you know? So unfortunately he eventually passed and I bought the clinic from his widow. And so the clinic was like one and a half doctor, I would say clinic at that point, we had lost some, we were large animal, but we had kind of large animal had fizzled out because I didn't do large animal. And we had a new grad on that Dr. Boyd had hired, but she had left to go do strictly large animal after he passed. And so it was by myself. I was by myself for about a year and a half. And about a year into that, um, my husband, who's 10 years older, was diagnosed with cancer and my kids were two and three. And so it was, it really was a blur. And I like my staff that was here. I have a lot of staff that have been with me forever. They will say I was mega, mega B, you know, I'm trying not to swear because Jessica probably warned you. I swear a lot. I'm really trying not to swear. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I, I was just, again, it was like, every foot in front of each other just to get through, um, running a basically one and a half, two doctor clinic by myself with toddlers and the husband going through chemo. Um, and so it was really rough. I was trying to recruit vets. I've been trying to recruit another vet for a long time, but again, being that we're rural, rural area, um, and I'm a city person myself and there, I thought the same thing. I'm never going to the, you know, Alpina, it's the middle of BFE, you know, like who, who's going up there. Um, and here I am loving it, but uh, it was really hard to recruit. And so luckily for me through the grapevine of Alpina people, um, there was, um, Dr. Heidi, who is my other associate. She was in Wisconsin and had been in Wisconsin for 20 years practicing and had four, four small kids. Um, and her and her husband were both from Alpina and they were talking about maybe coming back to Michigan. And so she sent me a resume and I was like, thank you. Um, so I hired her. And part of her stipulation was she didn't want to do on-call because we do all our own emergencies here. And at that point in my life, my husband's going through chemo. I would have given her the world. Like I didn't care, you know? And so I hired her on and she was a godsend. Um, I had hired a few. I had a friend who helped me do some relief work during the summer and stuff just to give me a break, mental break. But Heidi came on and that was amazing. Personality-wise, she's like the best associate you could ask for. Very easygoing, gets along with everybody. And she knew a lot of people from, from this town. So that helped too. So it was a struggle. I mean, I think, you know, when I talk about my life like that, I think, oh my gosh, I've been through a lot. You know, like you start thinking about you, but I'm, I forget because it's so far in the past and it's almost like removed, you know, of the struggles that we've been through and and whatnot. And so that clinic, you know, back then, you know, we were a two doctor clinic then, and, and it's slowly, we've just grown and grown and, and added, um, and we could keep adding, you know, when I bought the clinic, I had four exam rooms. Now I have eight exam rooms and this euthanasia room, you know, so we've just been gradually making it 
bigger, uh, not bigger physically, because it's a big building. We were just changing the inside. I, I think it's like, for me, it's like, vet school, you know, you, you have a mission, you have to accomplish it. And it's maybe the mental challenge of getting it done and checking it off the box, you know? And so with my husband, it was like a matter of, okay, well, I'm the one in charge. I got to do this. I got to go to work. I got to get the kids, you know, my family doesn't live here. So I didn't have like grandmas and grandpas to like help out. It was tough. It was really tough, but, um, we survived and my husband's doing fine now. And, you know, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, I mean, the amount of resilience it takes to not necessarily just shove the problems away and pretend like they don't exist, but, you know, and especially like something like that, where there's chemo, it's ongoing and it changes and needs change and availability changes and all that, you know, to, to kind of pick up a difficult time and carry it with you. You know, it's about, it's about going through it, not trying to pretend like you're going around it. Cause no one right. really ever goes around it. Um, you right. know, all of that will catch up with us. And so it's really amazing to hear stories like that. And I really appreciate you sharing because, you know, we all go through tough times and it looks different for everybody. Um, but it's really beautiful to hear that, you know, sure you didn't have your family, but there was still support, you know, this b- wonderful vet kind of just fell out of thin air. And sometimes, you know, we just have to say like, these things just happen for a reason. And the community was there to support you. Um, so I think that that's, that's really beautiful. And you've come a long way since then. And that's amazing. Including, I hear that you have a farm your yourself, right. With some interesting animals. So I have a little less of a farm. So you, um, I know you heard that I had peacocks and things like that. I did have peacocks. I was one of those people who was a city girl who grew up, who wanted to be a horse girl, who wanted to have a farm, right? So when I finally get up here and and we have acreage, I'm like, oh, we're going to get this. And so I got chickens and two peacocks from a client uh, years ago. And so eventually I got more peacocks and I had five peacocks. They were breeding and just coming back with babies. I did eventually get rid of them because they were pooping all over everything. I have like six acres around my house and I would be able to call them and they'd come flying to you and eat out of your hands. It was so cool. But as my kids got older and were around in the grass, they poop anywhere and everywhere. And so we, we stopped free ranging them and um, had them locked up kind of like an Avery. And then it wasn't as much fun because I didn't get to see them as much, you know? And so we ended up giving them away to a client and some 4-H girls. Um, right now I have four house dogs. I had as many as eight earlier this year. I'm a huge dog person. I have three cats, two Maine Coon cats, one's from Poland and one's a, a local one. And then I have a little, just a, a stray cat. And then my husband has hunting dogs. We have blue tick coon hounds that he runs bears and bobcats with. So we have 12 outdoor dogs, wow. uh, like a full animal setup own septic tank. It's like a big fancy thing. Uh, but the house dogs are like my kids and I have two kids. So yeah, it's a busy, it's busy. We're always busy and finding house sitters, you know, if it wasn't for staff, I don't know what I would do because <laughs> that's why be, you, uh, that's why you keep the clinic. <laughs> <laughs> expensive to like, uh, hi, hi board, uh, 20 dogs, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're just going to have to be a hospital like, owner forever. Yeah. I think my kids like going to school and telling their kids, how many dogs do you have? Well, we have 20. They're like, what? 20. Are you crazy? My mom's a vet. Oh, okay. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> so tell I me a little that. bit about, you know, in the downtime that you have, how do you, how do you like to wind down? How do you like to disconnect from work? Good question. Uh, <laughs> So I, you know, I used to, again, I feel like I'm, I don't want to say like, you know, you talk about veterinary profession and you talk about how this is so much of your life. And I think so much of it becomes your identity, you know, and there's a struggle there, right? There's a struggle of 
your life is that like everywhere I go, people are, 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 you know, talking to me or asking me questions and being in a small town. I mean, anywhere I go, um, or there, your numbers getting handed out, you know, and, and sometimes like I even still, I get frustrated. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not working, you know, like I'm, I'm not on call or, or we have an on-call vet, so call them, you know? Um, and so I, I do feel like some of that is still str- a struggle for me of like, my identity is who I am in this clinic and, and, and this town and some of that personality of, you know, I'm very much an outgoing person. So we'll have a lot of clients that will call and say, they want to talk to me and their receptionist will say, Oh, do, you know, Jill, uh, Emily's on the phone for you. And I'm like, Oh, who's Emily? And they're like, I don't know. She sounds like she knows you. I'm like, well, they all sound like they know me because I, I treat them like they are my family, you know? So I don't, I mean, I enjoy in downtime. I like to work out. So I like to do kind of like CrossFit stuff. I have a Peloton and it's more for me as much as I would love to lose more weight. It's more about mental. It's mentally makes me feel better. Um, and that's kind of how I was in vet school. You know, I would go to the gym and run at 10 o'clock at night just to mentally decompress, um, physically decompress. I'm a very competitive person. And so I think that has been always something I've enjoyed. You know, I, I play around with, um, other things, you know, plants. I, I, I had a you know succulent collection for a long time. I, I went down to MSU and went crazy and had like, I don't know, 80 different kinds of succulents in my house at one point. But I, those, so those have slowly dwindled down from getting infections or whatever, but they were plants I could take care of because it's less is more, right? You don't have to water them every week, like most house plants. I really enjoy my dogs. I'm a huge coffee snob. I love coffee. Like I drink espresso, like it's going out of style. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think it's a struggle. Like I do think, you know, when people say, what are your passions? It's, I I struggle with that because I like raising dogs. I liked puppy training. I like dog training, but I'm not like my husband who has the bear hunting and he is like eat, sleeps and breathes that I've dabbled with watercolor. I've dabbled here and there, but it's kind of like, I feel like it's still the same thing of, of me with, um, having peacocks, having chickens. I had a horse for a while, had a pony for my kids for a while. It's kind of like, Oh, let's try this. No, nope, Didn't work out. Oh, let's try that. Oh, nope, Didn't work out. You know? So I still feel like I'm, I'm, I'm finding it, you know, <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. We're very similar in that way. I also, I have a few things that I always kind of include to, and I'm always testing out new things. I'm like, what's the thing that like I'm missing? What's that? What's that new thing that I really want to do? Um, I too am down a plant road so I can understand the succulent collection. <laughs> Um, and yeah, likewise, uh, a huge coffee snob over here as well. So you'll have to come down to Miami and try all of our cafecitos and let us know what you think, because I travel, my husband, th- my husband doesn't like coffee. I travel with my little Nespresso. It goes in my suitcase. I travel with it. He's like, you're taking that with you. I'm like, yes, I am. Committed. <laughs> we can't take any risk when it comes to coffee. <laughs> No, I love that. Okay. Amazing. So I, I just, I feel like you and I would be like super good friends. I don't know why J2 has been hiding you and keeping you away. (laughs) I said, I just sent her a message today. I'm like, you know, I just want to say how much I appreciate you. Like I have gotten so much from having her as a coach. Like it's been amazing. Like for me, I'm, I'm huge into like wanting to bounce ideas off of people. Um, and I think that's, what's been great about VGP and having the coach, I recommend it. You know, uh, one of my friends signed up, just bought a clinic. I'm like, you got to get a coach, you know? And, um, again, because it's, it's so much nice. It's so nice to have someone like her who's done the management, who's done that side of things and just having a whole nother idea of outside clinics and what they're doing, what they're not doing. They've tried this. I tried that, you know, like so many things that she's 
given me ideas from as simple as like the when I work app of, you know, scheduling my employees and, and little things that I, I don't know about, you know? And so I do a lot of the management here and, um, she's been wonderful. I'm like, I just sent her a message last week and I'm like, it's really a shame that you don't live closer. Cause I could do dinner and drinks with you a lot more often. I need more than once a month. Okay, girl. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Jessica is really one in a million. I love her so much. And I agree. I, we need to have J2 just like next to us all the time. And she's a wealth of information. So I'm so glad that you were part of the coaching program. Was it what you expected? Like when you signed up to work with a coach, did you have any sort of idea of what you were getting yourself into <laughs> in, in the good way? I like transformed into something different a little bit, you know, because in the beginning we did a lot of the you know, the cores and the values and like the budget worksheet and the stuff that has been helpful. But as I have gotten, I think more successful, um, as a business and, and I I'm in a better financial state, like I'm not as particular about that kind of stuff and not as nitty gritty. Um, I still like to know it. Like there's a side of me that wants to go to do an MBA. That would be something on my list that I said when I was in vet school, I wanted to get my MBA. And now I feel like I want to get it just to have more knowledge, even though I'm, I'm doing it every day. Um, so the, in the beginning, I feel like it was like a lot like that, but now it's just transformed into like, you know, what's going to be the next thing on my list to do, you know, am I going to expand and do an expansion? Am I going to turn it into an urgent care? And then she has all these ideas and then we kind of go down that track, you know? And so, um, I think it's been 10 times better than what I thought it would be. Um, but I think for someone who, maybe in the beginning stages of owning the clinic and not really knowing, you know, how to budget and do all that stuff. When I first bought my clinic, which was something, I don't know who told me to do this, but I had, um, hired John Dietrich off of VIN as a consultant to just look over my numbers every month. And I don't even think he does it anymore. I know he's still on VIN, but, um, that, so he did that for probably three years just to look over the numbers. And that was amazing for me as a peace of mind to say, okay, I'm doing okay. Okay. I'm in the right boat or, you know, you need to watch this or watch that. And so, um, I think Jessica has taken that, but amplified it more in the whole, like helping me make decisions, helping me figure out, you know, HR issues with employees. And, and, and again, the gums comes down to the communication. She's phenomenal with her words and how to say things. And I think so much of that is like, I, I say that to the staff all the time. Like you guys need to stop and think, like you think about how the words come out of your mouth because you're saying it this way, but they're interpreting it this way. And who's right. Who's wrong. Right. Like maybe no one, but again, the, the, out, the, the outcome is not what we want. So somewhere there's a breakdown. Right. And so I think between being an RA in the dorms and learning all that kind of communication stuff, and then through my life experiences, it's, and just for sure has helped drastically help me to kind of build that whole, how do you have tough conversations? How do you nicely say these kind of things, you know? And there's been plenty of times where I'm like shooting her an email, like, Oh crap, this happened. Now what, you know, and, and she'll get back with me, you know, and tell me. So it's, it's been wonderful. Amazing. I'm so happy to hear it. And yes, you're very lucky to have Jessica as your coach. She is just a wealth of information. And I'm just, I'm so glad that you are such a part of the VGP family and that you're willing to come on here and share your story. So thank you for being here. But before we go, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Okay. So these are easy. <laughs> it's not an exam. <laughs> so what was the name of your first pet? Maxi. Nice. Favorite kind of music? Hip hop. Yeah. Oh, so you and J2 are very, 
very yeah. yeah it's all day long like yeah I'm, it can be current but i'm all about old school for sure the girl surgery here this is not really rapid when I'm, I'm giving you more information but when i'm in surgery back there i have the speakers blaring and, and they'll come in the next morning and say oh dr jill must have been here it's hip-hop <laughs> yes yep. yes what is your number one guilty pleasure Ooh, well, besides coffee, but that's not really guilty for me. I would have to say like donuts, like homemade cider mill donuts. I mean, oh, I can't. This is the time of year. Ooh. Yeah. Go on this weekend. So it's me. <laughs> have one for me. We don't have apples and cider. Nothing oh. down here. So enjoy one. Dedicate one to me, please. What is one thing on your bucket list? Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I want to learn to speak Spanish. It's always been on my bucket list. And I was just telling myself yesterday on my drive home, you know what? I need to get an app because it's always been on my list. I learned French and was fluent in French during college and Spanish shouldn't be hard for me to pick up, but I want to learn Spanish. Dr. Jill, I'm literally doing it right now. We could be accountability buddies. Or mister. <laughs> I love it. I have the Babbel app. Babbel is not a sponsor, but I just happen to have the Babbel app and I really like it. What is your go-to airport snack? Um, I would have to say gummy bears, like Sour Patch Kids gummies. I like to have suckers, like blow pops on the plane. Love that. What is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh, I would, oh, I would have to say salt and pepper, push it. Yes. Good answer. Like I know all the words I can do dance. <laughs> I'm going to so. have to see that. <laughs> and if you could go back in time and give yourself any piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I would say probably trusting my gut more often. Uh, I, th- I think because in my, again, my younger years, I didn't, I didn't trust my gut with my first husband. I was married before for a short stint for a year. I mean, there are a lot of little things that I was, it was there, it was screaming at me, but I was like, Oh, you know, pushing it down, pushing it down. And, and then it came back to bite me. So I, I would definitely say trust to your gut is huge. Yeah. Amen to that. I think that is great advice. And Dr. Jill, thank you so much for being here. This has been so much fun. I love you. I love spending time with you. You are amazing. And I hope that I get to see you at a next conference. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to look guys are doing your next ones because I, I really, I sent like, I don't know, four or five staff members to the emotional intelligence one or two different ones, but, um, they enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. And we love having you guys. I'm glad that you send your team because it's for everybody. So I am, I'm so glad definitely. And we'll find a karaoke bar and here you do push it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hold you to it. (laughs) Um, no, this is really so, so awesome. Thank you so much for being so transparent and you just have such a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And you're great at telling it. So thanks for being here. Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker, it could be the person who cleans your hospital, Uh, it it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, Uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, Those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but um, I'm always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life. What's going on in their vet med mind? 